Hey, Conjugate Chat friends, this is Mike Cunningham from Gill Athletics, and I need your help. Or maybe I need to help you. See, we have a crap ton of rubber bumper plates and other weight room items that we need to clearance. We need to clear them out of our factory. That's right, a crap ton. That's the official measurement. All offers will be considered. Email me at M-C-U-N-N-I-N-G-H-A-M at gillathletics.com to see the full list and check out the show notes right here on Conjugate Chats for a link to see the items and my email address. Thanks, everybody and stay strong. I think you said this in the beginning, teaching is teaching, right? I get to interact with kids. I get to be a part of their lives. I get to instruct them, not only in the classroom, just in terms of how they, who they become as human beings. That's an opportunity. Even if it's not the thing you're the most passionate about in the moment, hey, means to an end of, of where you want to end up being. I think you've, you've walked that path a little bit yourself. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Before going into the episode, I want to thank our sponsors, starting with the DOYSC, the Department of Young Strength Coaches. This group is designed for young strength coaches wanting to go into the field of strength and conditioning, whether that's CSCS prep, GA, or internship opportunities, or even live discussions. They are a resource for young coaches to take advantage of. I will put the link to the Discord in the description of this episode. Also, Team Builder. Team Builder is the software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides coaches with the elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. TBOS is full of tools that coaches need, like multiple max training methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, goal setting, to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with team builders and house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code CONJUGATE to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. So please be sure to rate, like, subscribe, or even share this podcast with a fellow coach or a fellow admirer. I'm your host, John Mark Raspberry, kind of a uh, current strength coach looking for a spot to land. Um, I have on today Fred Eves, who is the assistant head of school and operations and co-curricular programs at uh, Battlegrounds Academy. Um, Fred was also one of the, I guess, the foundational members or the foundational founders of the NHSSCA um, and was a uh, strength coach over at Battlegrounds Academy before rolling into the administrative role. So, um, Fred, welcome to the podcast. It's awesome to have you on and um, looking forward to this. Yeah, no, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate the work that you're doing. I, I know you've got a... Uh... You got a good following. You got some good traction on social media, and and this is this is helpful for coaches to be able to have this resource. So thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this for all the coaches out there. Yes, sir, absolutely. So give the listeners just a little background about yourself. You know, the strength and conditioning world is pretty small. Uh, so you know, a lot of people do know you know each other and everything like that. But for those that don't know you. Give us a little like synopsis about who you are, where you came from, how'd you get into training and conditioning, why you at Battlegrounds, and all that good, wonderful stuff. Sure. Well, I'll try to you cut me off uh, where you need to. But, uh, you know, originally I'm from a small town in East Tennessee, about halfway between uh, Chattanooga and Knoxville. And um, got into uh, got into sports a little later than most people really started playing a little basketball in eighth grade and uh, and then moved into football in ninth grade. And. As I, uh, you know, we, 
always tell I think one of the reasons I ended up becoming interested in strength conditioning is is my senior year they built a technology lab and we lost our weight room and and at that time we didn't have fully formed weight programs it was kind of just come in and sign your name and lifts everybody did some bench press right <laughs> but uh but you know we didn't have an opportunity to work out anywhere and the season following that I got injured the first play of the first game dislocated my shoulder we had a horrible season so I think in somewhere in the back of my psyche I always assigned a high value to being able to lift weights and the success and 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 a success it could possibly bring and also the ability to stay healthy out on a field even at a young age subconsciously so um originally I kind of fell into strength conditioning I wanted to be a history teacher and a football coach and uh you know, my first real I coached at my high school to start out with and, and helped with the weight room program there. And then as I got into college, I was at, uh, I played football at Maribel College, got injured there. Um, I was I was a bevy of injuries. I had a lot of a lot of injuries I still deal with. I uh, transferred to UT Chattanooga, my undergrad and started coaching at UTC in the weight room with Scott Brinks, who was fantastic. I think Scott's still at Richmond now. And it was also at Boyd Buchanan School, uh, which is a uh, private school in Chattanooga. It was a strength conditioning coach there. And at that time, we were we were a very successful program. So um, that's where I really developed a love. I was tr- when I was at Boyd, I was trying to get a job as a football coach. And the only position they had open was a strength conditioning coach. And I was like, well, I'm personal training and I like this. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take that role. And I was still trying to find my way onto the football field. Uh, all that being said, I developed a real love and a passion for that as I assumed that role. And I, I joked the head of school at the time was also the president of the school. And when I came in an interview with him, he said, you know, hey, I don't know if I've got any money to pay you. And I was like, oh, I, I could care less whether you pay me <laughs> if I could just have the job. And eventually I did get paid and, and ended up being a, a pretty well-paid assistant before I moved on to uh, uh Tennessee, the University of Tennessee, uh, working in the weight room there and and as a uh, and worked at Alcoa High School at the same time. Um, so that was kind of the next move for me. Um, I, when I was at Tennessee, I realized that I really wanted to be a high school guy. Um, I enjoyed the experience there. It was fantastic. I got to work under under Johnny Long and the Gail Hatch tree and and worked with a ton of fantastic string coaches that are still out there. It, that was a that was a real Oh, man, I don't know, a golden age in terms of strength conditioning and guys that are out there are still head street coaches now. Um, but I knew in my heart I wanted to be a high school guy. I really care about that. I felt like I could have a much greater impact on kids at the high school level. There were, there was a formative time period for them. So I felt like by the time someone got to you at 18 or 19, they kind of were who they were to some extent. And And I'm sure there are some college coaches that would disagree with that. And I can appreciate that argument, but I felt like the molding could happen there, there, it could be a lot larger impact at a lower lower age group if, if we could get to that and, and be part of that formation for them. So spent time there and then ended up transitioning to Chattanooga and Notre Dame High School, a private school there, and uh, went and spent some time at LSU as well with Coach Moffitt and actually got to work with uh, Gail Hatch while I was down there as well and lived with Matt Bruce, uh, if you're familiar with Matt. Uh, Matt's a fantastic strength coach at Catholic High School in Baton Rouge now. And Matt was a Olympic caliber weightlifter at that time. So it was cool getting to what he was actually at that time training, uh, still in high training mode and was a very knowledgeable strength coach, even at that stage of his career. And so getting to live with him and pick his brain and us develop a great friendship on top of that was fantastic. And then, um, you know, quick move to, uh, Kentucky for one year at Hopkinsville high school and, and, uh, 
enjoyed that. And then I ended up at Battleground and, and we were able to have a lot of lot of really good success here in terms of building a building a broad K through 12 program, athletic success and just uh, integration into our, our school life and our school culture. And so I've been the athletic director here for the last seven years. And the last couple, I've been the assistant head of school that oversees all the operations of the school and still oversees strength conditioning. I, I have two strength coaches, but I still oversee that that piece of the equation and and participate here and there when when I can. Uh, still, 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 every now and then, if they need to fill in, I jump in. And I'm I'm bad about coach. I try to do a good job of not coaching when I go into the weight room because we've got a really good young strength coach. They're both really really good, and uh, so I don't want to step on their toes. But there's then there's the old coach in you that when you see something you coach it. So I just remind everyone, hey, when I see something, I'm going to coach. So. Uh, I've always been really passionate about kids. Um, that's why I do what I do. Uh, I've got some, I've got some people on campus that laugh at how I, how I go about business. Because if I have a tough day and you see me standing in the quad, I'm walking out there to see kids to remind myself why I got into what I got into in the first place. Because um, we are living in a time where, hey, everything's a little more challenging. Everything's a little more polarized. Um, the stakes are a little bit higher for everyone, or at least they feel like they are. And I try to level set and remind people that, hey, this is a really important window of time in your child's life. Um, it is super important, but it is a window that is formative in terms of who they become down the road. But on the flip side, they've got their whole life. If you look at, hey, how big is this spot in their life? It's a really small spot in their life and it's an important spot. But they're also going to be husbands. They're going to be fathers. They're going to be mothers. They're going to be productive citizens in our in our world and our community. And they've got a lot of life left to live. And I promise you, ten years from now, you're not going to be so concerned about how many touchdown passes they threw that year. It's going to be, hey, how are they doing in their job? Hey, I've got beautiful grandchildren. You just try to remind them of that. And, and that's a that's a tough spot to walk through because from a parent's point of view that four-year window in high school goes by really quickly. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of a quick synopsis. Um, obviously, I was a co-founder of the NHSSCA uh, with with Gary Schofield and Kevin Vanderbush and uh, and uh, Rich Gray. And, and uh, we're, we're excited about where the organization's been to this point. We're excited about where it's going. And uh, we think we've got some good leadership and, and there's some good good change going on and, and just excited, just excited about what... Uh, what can be out there. It's really fun. You know, the first NatCon that we had, one of the uh, one of the things that I said was, you know, I gave kind of what was considered my last last talk. Um, at that point in time, I'd been speaking pretty regularly for about three or four years of all over the place. And 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 honestly, I got to a point where I was like, hey, I think I've kind of said everything I have to say. People know how we do business and what we're doing here. And I looked around the crowd and I saw all these really good young strength coaches and just said, hey, this is this is kind of it for me. I don't want to be up here again at a NatCon doing a talk. This ought to be the last time that I do it because there's too much knowledge sitting out here. And the reality is you guys have heard everything I have to say. It's time to hear another voice. And it's, so it's been good to watch uh, just a good group of young strength coaches coming up, um, you know, and, and I'm excited about that. And I hope the NHSSCA can continue to be a part of that. So I'm excited, you know, and, and very proud to have been a part of the foundation of that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of a lot to unpack there. You know, that's, that's a great, that's Sorry. a great, no, it, it's fine. It's totally fine. I, I, you know, I love hearing like people's backstories and how they got into strength and conditioning and why, and, you know, continuously, you know, actively pursuing this, you know, career. Um, because I do think it's one of the most rewarding fields out there. 
Uh, you know, you, I classify strength coaches as teachers as well. I classify the weight room as a classroom because you are teaching skills, you're teaching knowledge, you're teaching, you know, foundational things that these athletes, these students, these kids are going to need for the rest of their life. You know, not just for the four years or I guess if, in your case, like a, a K-12 school, you know, they're sitting there for 13 years of their life in one school. Like, it's just more than, you know, sport performance or quality movement. It's teaching them how to take care of themselves, how to take care of their bodies, maybe learn a life lesson, you know, along the way. But, you know, these are, and you said it best, is a impactful time for them. You know, um, this is where, you know, we, they, they're exposed to a, a lot of things and, you know, very influential people, coaches, teachers, parents, you know, the people around them are so influential into who they are as a person. And, you know, that, that's completely awesome that, uh, you know, you started or you found or co-founded the NHSSCA where people like me and other coaches can have a resource and have a place to, uh, talk to talk shop to spread you know the message of why this profession is so needed at the high school realm in high school middle school shoot I think even in elementary that you know the long term of athletic development you know for our kids our students uh, man it's completely awesome that's awesome no it's exciting to hear I remember um, I remember being younger and and uh, you know that optimism and and that optimism is what creates these opportunities and that excitement. And so you guys got to capture that, not be jaded by the, I, I, I think, you know, I see a lot of the social media stuff and I'm, you guys live in a much tougher world than what I lived in. <laughs> I, I'm in a space where I don't really have to pay much attention to that stuff. Um, it's a different world for you guys. So I think not being jaded and, 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 and working through some of the negativity that I see out there sometimes, I guess what I'm saying is don't lose that optimism and excitement for what you're doing, because that's what makes a difference. And that's what kids feel from you. They know, I mean, kids are so perceptive, especially this generation of kids, they know whether you're real or not. And, and I think people use a lot of false, um, false things to try to build. They use some false vulnerability they use some false, uh, you know, I guess the vulnerability piece is the biggest one I see in terms of how people try to connect with kids. Uh, I, I think people struggle with setting appropriate boundaries now. That's kind of what I see on a daily basis because they feel like that's one what's going to win credibility with a kid. But the reality of like how you win that kid still comes down to, hey, do you have that excitement and passion for what you do? And can they see that? And do they know that you love and care about them and you're going to do whatever you can to help them achieve whatever goal is they have for themselves? I still think those are two of the most powerful things you can have to win kids over. And I'm a big believer if you win kids over, you win parents over. And if you win kids and parents, you win administrators. That's how it works. That's just I've seen it over and over and over. So don't lose that, man. That's good stuff. And keep spreading that around. Keep spreading the good stuff, spreading the good word. Yes, sir. And uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, that you put it real nicely for us. So let's go ahead and dive deep into the episode here. So we're going to go through a couple segments here, kind of talk shop about a little bit of um, high school and private school life and what can we do as coaches and, you know, spreading the good word about strength and conditioning, why it's needed and how can we pay for the high school strength coach as well. But before all that, we have a segment called Tricks and Tips. So 
this is where you'll give us a trick or a tip that coaches can use, whether that's in the weight room, Google Sheets, Excel if you're if that's your if that's your uh, stuff, team builder, whatever. Um, they sponsor this podcast, by the way. Uh, the field, the core, or you know, just something to help other coaches as well. Yeah. Uh, mine's not going to be, I'm not going to get in a spreadsheet for you. I'm not inept in those areas. I'm not that, I'm not that archaic at this point. Um, I can, I can use team builder. I can, in fact, I've, we did a lot of technology before that was really a popular thing. Uh, maybe a little bit too cutting edge at times. Mine's just going to be more about, I'm just going to challenge coaches. To, I'm going to go back to that social media platform thing and how you're utilizing that and what that looks like and how you interact with others. And I, I take a very biblical approach to how I, how I look at things. I'm not a, I'm not a shock person. I'm not a person that tries to create controversy or tries to argue with people. And I would just challenge your coaches in terms of, Hey, when I'm deal, I deal with a lot of really negative conversations. It's just the nature of my work. Um, when you're the person who's dealing with athletics, you're dealing with COVID-19 as part of your, you know, as part of your charge, you're dealing with safety and security, all these really hot button issues in our schools I see a really, really emotional version of a parent and what I would challenge people to do in terms of how they how they how they interact, whether it be social media or in person with other coaches is ask a lot more questions. Realize that a lot of things that you think may be the first first thing, you know, this is you may think it's, hey, this is new and innovative and I'm the only person that's ever done this, but it's probably been done before in some form or fashion there's someone who's explored that before and have some humility about that and then the third thing is is just being in a space where you can have those conversations and it's not a it's not a it's not an absolute i see so many people dealing absolutes of hey this is the only way to do this and i'll be honest with you when i came here the way that i trained had been very much a gail hatch Tennessee, LSU, this is what we do, Olympic lifting, and it did not fit our school schedule. And I got to know Joe Ken really well, and I and I converted over to, to more of a tier system model because that's what fit our school schedule. It wasn't really who I was, wasn't what I grew up with, but not dealing in those absolutes of, hey, this is the only way to train. And we had success training in both ways. And I think I just see a lot of that. Of everybody's dealing in absolutes. Everyone's working to be confrontational. I just love to see people ask a lot more questions, work to build bridges with each other and realize that, hey, every kid that you're looking to influence, the same thing we tell them about social media, you're creating a permanent record. You're creating a permanent record of who you are and how you behave. And man, you may look back 10 years from now and go, oh my gosh, because I promise you, I'm glad that some of the opinions that I had in my 20s and 30s that are not on record. Somewhere where I have to go back and read those over and over. So that's just a challenge. That may be an unpopular take on that, but that would be my tip for for people to really take a look at how you're how you're projecting yourself and what that looks like. And listen, I'm not a guy. I'm all for people making money. I'm not one of those guys. I'm all for the. I don't knock that. Like I'm so impressed of how people have monetized some of what they do, and uh, and that they're able to to do that at a high level. Yeah, that's one thing. Like when I first got into like the whole sport performance and strength conditioning side of things, like I was very afraid to voice my opinion because I didn't want to sound dumb, right? And I I didn't want to sound like I didn't know what I was talking about. Which in all reality, I didn't know what I was talking about. You know, I, I had a little bit of education. You know, I had a kinesiology degree, but you know, there's nothing like being out on the floor, and there's nothing like 
you know, having, you know, being there with your athletes and having that experience. So, um, and I, you know, when I first got into here, I was thinking like, you know, I, I was afraid or I wasn't so much afraid of, you know, spreading knowledge. I was afraid of, or I, well, yeah, I was a little bit afraid to, you know, put myself out there, but, um, I, I didn't, I didn't shy away from asking questions. And that's one thing, like, I think strength coaches, up and coming coaches need to do better of is, you know, ask a question if you don't know something. Ask, you know, whatever that thing is, you know, um, if you, if you don't know something, you know, admit that you don't know it, but expand your knowledge and, you know, actively pursue knowledge in this field because that's the only way you, you as a coach will get better and eventually, you know, you can spread that knowledge to someone else. So big, that's a really great tip. Um, Fred, because I, I think more coaches can, you know, have conversations and ask questions about what exactly, you know, certain things are in training conditioning rather than, you know, speaking in absolutes. This is the, you know, it's my way of the highway kind of mentality. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, to your point of every coach ought to be able to be in a space where they can ask a question and not worried about, am I going to be ridiculed or made fun of? And maybe you put a video up of a kid struggling with a lift and say, hey, how do you guys correct this? But I, I don't know that we're quite there as a culture yet. Um, but it's have you ever heard of the, the crab bucket mentality? Have you ever heard that analysis? So crab bucket mentality is like, hey, have you ever seen a, a group of crabs crawling out of a bucket that they won't let each other crawl out? They'll No one ever gets out because they'll pull each other down. And, and I still think to some extent, like the next phase for strength conditioning as a profession to grow, so they've got to move away from that crab bucket mentality and build each other up as opposed to breaking each other down. That's one of the big, I'm very much an observation, uh, observationist at this point in my career in terms of where I am in strength conditioning, just kind of watching. I, I'm, I don't tweet a lot and I don't, I don't post a lot, but I read a lot and I look at a lot. And, uh, you know, so I just, I think that's the next piece because I think there are a lot of really good up and young, young up and coming coaches that are doing a really nice job in their weight rooms. But you got to remember, you're not the only person who's doing a really nice job in their weight room. And so there are a lot of people that you can learn from and, and we've got to get away from that mentality and, and we've got to create a space where, hey, even if you're new to this, because one of the with the NHSCA, one of the groups that we wanted to reach the most was, hey, here's this person who's the defensive coordinator that's been charged with doing the weight room and how do we help this guy become a qualified strength coach that has the ability to do that and probably has a passion for it, but they're not a strength conditioning coach per se. Um, and that, you know, that, that's kind of the goal. So that's, that's my piece for what it's worth. Uh, you know, like I said, maybe an unpopular opinion, but I'm not, I'm not afraid of having an unpopular opinion as well. Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right. So let's kind of go into our heavy training topic. So we kind of discussed a little bit about it and I think it's a valuable piece of kind of leading into having, you know, a qualified strength conditioning person in the weight room, in the building, whatever. Um, you know, you've been in the game long enough. You're in a administrative role. Um, and that's this is the big buzz that's really happened, I think, within probably the last five, ten years. How do we get someone into the weight room. How do we get a qualified individual inside of these schools so we can cut down on injuries? Um, these families can cut down on doctor visits, surgeries, 
and you know be able to sustain success inside of a uh, performance field performance um, side of the athletics. So let's talk about that for just a brief moment. How do you think public schools and private schools? And I know they there are two different things and they follow different you know regulations. But in your observations, right? How do you what how do you see that public and private schools can pay and implement a strength coach into their building? Yeah, so it's it's all of these situations are super specific, right? It's it's all about like what is that actual what what is that school? What is the culture there? What is what are the resources? But I do think um, there are some commonalities too uh, on on the flip side of that. Uh, but but understand this: I'm going to make a broad strokes couple statements, and you know it's not going to apply to every situation, but it will apply to most, in my opinion, in terms of how that works. So you know, on the public school side, I think some of the best advice that I've ever given anyone, I've seen you guys, I've seen you involved in this conversation, is. Hey, get yourself a teaching licensure certificate, whatever that looks like. Hey, if you're doing, hey, if I did my undergrad in exercise science or kinesiology, well, hey, do a master's in education and do they have a route to licensure? Because whether we agree, disagree, whatever it is, the makeup right now of becoming a PE teacher in the state of Tennessee or, or most states in the, in, the, in the nation is going to be that you have to have teacher licensure. So that's a great way. Usually when someone goes to their graduate work, if they haven't done that already and they reach out to me, that's the first place that I that I work to the work to get them there. Because I promise you, I don't I think ADs understand the value of strength conditioning from a liability standpoint, from a performance standpoint, from a protection standpoint. I think they get that it will come down to resources for them. And the fastest way for them to get a strength coach in the building is to have a certified PE teacher that you can create that within your curriculum. That's the fastest way on the public school side. You know, on the private school side, most of the time you don't have to be certified, but having some type of background and being diverse and being able to do multiple things can help you. Like my first strength conditioning job, I was also a history teacher. I taught half the day history and then half the day I taught strength conditioning classes. And then Within a couple of years, I was teaching all strength conditioning classes. So it kind of morphed as you demonstrate the value and how many kids you can impact. Because the reality is uh, when, you, when you're selling these types of programs, the strength conditioning coach has the opportunity to impact. You've got multiple teams, right? Hey, if one coach impacts one team of 17 kids, well, hey, I've got that 10 different times. You've got the ability to work with a ton of kids in terms of volume. So, um, but I think there's some creative ways to do that. I, I would tell you that, so they laugh at like everyone's, like my assistant AD for operations is a former strength conditioning coach. I hired him as my administrative assistant at one point and he, he still works in the summer. Like he does some of our summer strength conditioning, he works the mill group. So I hire people at times and other, I hire on skill set a lot. And so I've tried to be intentional about, hey, does that person have any weight room background? So that's one way that we've done it here. We've got several people that aren't quote unquote strength coaches during the day, but they have that skill set and they help us out in peak times of year like summer. when We may have 100 boys in a group together and we're trying to get as many qualified people as possible. But I think one way to look at it to backtrack a bit is. Okay, every school is going to be hampered by resources. So, hey, public school, if I can get a teacher in the building, perfect. I can convert that person. The second way I would look at is who do you have on campus already who has a passion for this? If you don't have a strength coach currently, who on your campus has passion for this and excited about it? 
because the reality is at one point in time, I was a strength conditioning coach and didn't have a lot of training and was trying to figure out. I was just super excited about it and wanted to be good. And those people have the skill set and they probably have a really high ceiling if you're willing to mentor and work with them and get them the appropriate training. So I've taken that approach with several, several of our employees here that have an interest in that. And it's like, hey, how can we foster that interest and build more capacity in someone else that actually has that skill set as well? So, hey, that doesn't mean that it may be the defensive coordinator of the football team or the assistant basketball coach that has a real passion for this. How do you feed that passion? Hey, is there an afternoon stipend? Is there a morning stipend? And from the athletic director level, I would look at, you know, from a financial standpoint, if you can work in your model to build in, hey, I'm X amount of money from each sport is going to go toward a strength conditioning coach. I know some schools, some public schools in Indiana do a really nice job of that. Um, that's not really the makeup in Tennessee, but I've talked to some guys there that's like, hey, I get a I get a stipend for each each offseason, right? That I'm working after school. So I think there's some creative ways. Um, that you can, you know, whether it be through stipends, whether it be obviously the, the first place is, hey, can you get someone as a certified teacher in your building if you're at a public school? Hey, can you get the position created if you're at a private school? Can you add that piece? Which that is most private schools, unless you're a really small school, that's 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 pretty much going on at this point in our area. Uh, I'll speak specifically to it. The third piece is, hey, how do you what how can you build capacity within who's already there? And then some of that is, uh, you know, hey. I may be able to get someone outside of here and how do I stop in that person enough, maybe a young person who's just getting going in this or whatever it is, but how do I create three to four different stoppings a year where they have a part-time role? I think using your internship programs to build capacity. I, I think you and I talked about Nathan Bibb. Nathan was an intern for me that ended up coaching several sports and us finding some money. We've had several people that have been interns here that we've turned into full-time full-time assistants as time has went on. So I think there are a lot of different ways, but I really just try to look at it as, and I get it. I can play the other side of the coin as an athletic director and go, well, Hey, I have to have a girl's golf coach. I can't have a girl's golf season without a girl's golf coach, but I can't have a season without a strength conditioning coach. If, if money comes down to where it is, which is a horrible I don't like that line of thinking, but it's just a reality. And that's when I start asking those questions about capacity building of who do I have in my building that would have an interest in this? How do I get someone from the outside? And that may be a private sector partnership too. So I'm I'm a fan of whatever whatever your model dictates, being creative in that approach. And it can take multiple forms. And I've seen some schools who use an outside entity and that works pretty well for them and they have really good partnerships. And I've also seen schools do that for five years and then they have hiring a person from that outside entity to become their full-time strength coach. So I think they're up. I don't know if that's helpful. I think there are a million different roads to get there. The, the need is there. I think we're in a very similar spot to where athletic trainers were 20, 30 years ago. And, and they're, they are a necessity. Strength conditioning coaches are a necessity at this point from a protection standpoint from a performance standpoint, from a cultural standpoint. I mean, you know, I'll still make that argument. Our strength conditioning coach still st spends a majority of time with our athletes throughout the year. And, and that's a really important piece of the puzzle. And you can't overvalue that as a strength. You got to be careful as a strength conditioning coach. You don't overvalue that in your head. But as an administrator, you can't undervalue that either. So I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth a little bit. Everyone everyone's replaceable, right? Some people aren't reproducible. That's always been my line with that. 
I've never seen a school shut down that I left. The school is usually still going and thriving. There's someone else that'll come in. So we can't overvalue ourselves in the same context. We got to value ourselves appropriately. And we can't, as administrators, undervalue the job that strength conditioning coaches are doing. So I threw a lot. I kind of vomited that out at you of like, what is that? What could that look like? That is so specific to your situation. But those are some different things that I've looked at over the years of, okay, how can we, how can we add more people in the fold? Like right now we've got our, uh, you know, if I took our female program, we've got a fantastic coach that we hired from Springfield College, uh, Dr. Adam and doctors Adam and Mary Kate Fight sent them center our way. She's fantastic. Uh, we've got our uh, cheer coach who has a fitness background and has a strength conditioning background who also works with us in the summer. We have our volleyball coach who was a player at University of Miami and just had an interest. So we we fostered that interest with her in training. So we have three very capable people in the summer that work with our girls and we really just hired one, but it's like, Hey, they have a passion for this. How do we foster that? They go to our conferences. They, they do professional development. I have a wrestling coach who who is young and excited and works in our middle school wellness and wants to learn more about strength conditioning and came in and said, Hey, well, I want to, I want to get certified. What does that look like? And I told him, Hey, I'm, I'm all for certification, but let's get you qualified first <laughs> to use that line that we, we've all used over the years. And he's, he's all for that. And, and so those are some ways that we've done that, but I think you can be creative with stipends. I think you can be creative with your structure to try to get there and, and at least get someone on your campus at times working with kids. Is that helpful at all? Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to break that down a little bit more. So let's go public school first. We'll talk about uh, private school and then we'll talk about what you were talking about, having the private sector, you know, the external, um, you know, that external, I guess, person doing all the strength. Conditioning. So let's talk about the public school real quick, because what you're talking about was going to get like a master's and or at least a program to get your licensure, you know, in Tennessee. That can be your undergrad too. Don't get me wrong. It just seems like most people don't end up doing that in their undergrad. Right. And that's, that was kind of the situation with me. Cause like I got my bachelor's in kinesiology with a little emphasis in athletic training. I was a intern for my alma mater, you know, worked in the AT room, worked in the weight room, whatever. When I got out, you know, I moved from Illinois to Tennessee and I didn't have, because I didn't know at the time what, you know, that teacher process looked like. You know, I didn't know what, you know, licensure looked like. I just thought, you know, you get education degree, they let you go teach. Like, and, you know, there's some, you know, m you know, misunderstandings about that stuff. And that's one thing I learned when I moved down here. I know some other states like in Georgia and Texas, they have like an alternative process to where you can take this program and get your license that way without going get a master's degree or, um, you know, taking classes, things like that. Tennessee's not that way. Tennessee, you have to go and be a part of an education prep program and get your, you know, find a program that does initial licensure and then pass your practices. And, you know, it is a, it's a pretty lengthy process. So, um, you know, I did mine in biology. So, um, at UT Martin, they don't have the health and wellness physical education as a licensure. Is the core subjects your English, social studies, uh, geography, math, biology, science, chemistry, stuff like that. So I did mine biology, but you know if that you know that that's kind of what it takes to get your foot in the door. You know if you gotta teach biology, history, geography, 
shoot algebra one for you know three four years before you know you can transition into a role like that. I mean, sometimes it does require that in the public school setting. Yep, absolutely. No, and it's what I did. I did a I did the worst thing you could do. I was in a teacher education program. I don't advise this route for anyone. Uh, so I graduated through a teacher education program, but I graduated without licensure because I didn't student teach because I had an opportunity in strength conditioning at the University of Tennessee. So then after I was there for a bit, I realized, hey, I really want to be in high school. How do I get licensed? Well, it's a real barrier if you've gone. It's real barrier to get an alternative license if you've gone through a teacher education program and don't do licensure. So the way that I ended up doing that was I took a job at uh, Notre Dame High School teaching history and UTC would give me if I taught for three years there, they would count that as my student teaching and then I could pass the praxis and do my licensure. And then, of course, now I don't JM, you'll probably know better than I do at this point. I still keep I'm still licensed, um, but, I, you know, it's, that's an easier process now. At that time, I could as soon as I was licensed in history, all I had to do was pass the praxis in PE, and I was licensed in PE as well, even though I ended up doing a master's in that. So, um, but yeah, is that still the case? Is that still how they do that? Hey, if I, if like today, if I wanted to be a biology teacher, if I could pass the praxis, they would give me a biology license if I pass that. Is that still the way Tennessee works? So you have to go through the education program, right? Um, you still got a student teach, but they have it to where you have like a job embedment program now. To I'm, where, talking about after your I'm talking about after your initial oh, yes yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah we just well they just got rid of it now add tpa to where you okay. gotta submit all that stuff well that's been waived for job embedment programs and stuff like that but yeah it's essentially passing the praxis and then you know getting your license in that yeah so yeah no i listen i see most guys who everyone that i can tell hey if you think you want to be in high school whether it be an undergrad or graduate, get yourself a path to licensure, not just an education degree, but we'll ask them what the path to licensure looks like. Cause it just opens so many doors. And like I said, I taught history and I listen, I still, I still moonlight and teach some history here and there whenever we need a section or whatever that looks like. Um, that was my first love. I knew in sixth grade, I wanted to be a history teacher before I was really into sports. Um, I'm, I'm pretty boring. You can ask my wife about, Hey, if you watch one more thing about Tudor England and someone's nasty teeth and what was going on during that time period, I'm, I'm going to lose my mind. But, uh, but yeah, that, that piece of, Hey, I may have to teach something that, but to your point, I think you've, you've walked that path a little bit yourself. Yeah. Cause like, when I wanted to go from, because I was working at a physical therapy clinic for like two years, and I wanted to be a physical therapist, and then, you know, life happens, and you you got to change your course and be flexible and, and things like that. So when I went to education, you know, I, and back in my mind, I was like, you know what, I, I think I like to do the weight room for the football team or, you know, something like that. And then as time's gone on and you've seen, you know, what you've seen in the weight room from, your sport coaches and stuff like that. I was like, well, there's really a need for teaching, you know, these athletes basic quality movements so they don't get hurt. And then that went from, well, you know, what's stopping me from doing that? So, yeah. and you know, I, you know, I've taught biology, I've taught math, I've taught social studies for a year. And sometimes it just takes, you know, you saying, well, I'll teach science for a year. I'll teach, you know, whatever for you, for you to have your foot in the door and yep. be present with those athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's, it's a different. So my first, um, this will at least make you laugh. 
when I was first got my alt license in special ed and there was an opportunity at a school in East Tennessee. And I remember the head coach, uh, I was, yeah, I, I just didn't care. I was looking for a job and, and I'm going to speak to a little bit of a generational difference of something I dealt with the other day versus where I was at that age. I was in my twenties and I called the coach and he's like, Hey, Hey man, do you realize that like you're going to be wiping people's rear ends in this job? And I said, yeah, no, it's not a problem. You know, I mean, just that's where I was like, hey, whatever I've got to do to, to get the job and to, and to be a part of the program, I'm willing to do. And, uh, I, you know, I interacted with a, with someone right out of college the other day that we had a position open. And I mean, literally, this would have been this person's position for the taking, but because it wasn't at the grade level that they wanted to do that. They were just not interested. And it was someone right out of college. It just blew my mind. It was just like, man, I would have jumped at that. All right, we're talking about the difference between teaching a ninth grader versus a seventh grader, right? But it was that specific for that person of, hey, well, I only want to work with this age group and that's all I want to do. And so I think if I don't know the, you know, I'm seeing more and more of that in hiring. I would advise people not to live in that world because the reality is if you're good, a school, an organization is going to move you to where you need to be when the opportunity arises. So you may do something for a couple of years that, Hey, it's not exactly what I want to do or what I'm, what I'm super passionate about, but it's going to get you where you want to go in the long term. and see old, Hey, I'm holding out for a management position line, right? I've got a cousin. I think he's been doing that for like 40 years holding out for a management position. So I, I would just, you know, ask people to be flexible, work with schools. I mean, there, there is a, uh, you know, you have some defined needs at times, we have had so many people here that, I mean, our current strength and conditioning coach is a great example. His first job here was interning with us and then a, a security guard job opened up and he took the security guard, security guard job for two years. And then the strength conditioning position opened up and he was super qualified for it. And it was an easy, you know, easy, easy process to, for him to interview for that job and be able to present well for himself. But like I said, he was a security guard and off-campus football coach. That's that's what he started doing here. So just just being flexible, I think that's that's advice that if I could give that, uh, it's going to open some doors for you down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about like paying because you know being qualified, getting your credentials, getting your licensure is one thing. The other side of the coin is you got to get paid because you know as much as I love to teach and love to be in, you know, classroom with all them kids, you know, if they're paying you like $25,000 right now, I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough sell for a school to say, well, we're going to pay you this much and everything like that. And you talked about stipends earlier. And, um, I actually talked to a guy today about like, how should I approach this to our admin? So what was your approach to, um, you know, getting some of these coaches, strength coaches in the public school paid because I, I know there's, you know, certain public schools have just a certain amount of money and, yep. you know, it, it could be, and you said first, you know, I got to take care of golf and cheer. Like I got to have those coaches first. And on the teaching side, it's kind of the same way. I need a math teacher. I need a science teacher. I need, you know, English teacher first before I need a PE wellness uh, strength coach, you know, whatever. So how would you, how would you advise like, I guess, admin or how would you, um, tell someone that, you know, one to propose being a strength coach and getting paid? All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to 
push back a little bit and say, let's define what getting paid is, because I think that's a very different definition for for different different strength coaches in terms of where they are. So what would we say is a fair what's the definition of what a fair wage is in terms of, hey, I'm a full time strength conditioning coach at a high school? What what feels comfortable for people there would be my question. I know that's going to be relative to experience level, all that, but I'd I'd love to hear kind of what what people think that is or what from your mind. You're speaking for the people right now, JM. So I've I've actually had some thoughts about this for the last couple of years about like what should strength coaches get paid. So what I've found in the public school is their pay scale, right? Years of experience. You get this much amount, you get this much amount, and I, I think that goes back to being a licensed teacher. Right. If you are a licensed PE teacher and you got zero years of experience, you're starting here. You've got a bachelor's, you got a master's, you got EDS, you know, a doctorate, whatever, and you feel in that way. Um, I, I think that is the best way for public schools to kind of go around, you know, your base salary of how much you should get paid. Because if you're if you had never stepped foot in the classroom for uh, and you got your master's and everything like that. Okay, you're starting here. And then you can, you know, as your experience builds, that's how you get paid. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think especially like our our strength coaches teach classes during the day. They teach those classes during the day. So it's easy for us because we have a banded scale. It's a little different than the public school. Um, and there's some ability to jump between it depending upon, you know, they have a, a banding process they can go through to, to present their portfolios and show some of the work that they've done and obviously degree levels. And But I think uh, a good base point in a school is, OK, what does the teacher salary look like? Right. So then there's that. The way I would look at it, I am a huge proponent of fair compensation for time. And sometimes what people think is fair is 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 not what I think is fair. But I do. I don't believe that someone should live in a space where this specific example of, hey, I'm being paid to be a teacher during the day. I'm also running a weight room before school and after school every day, and I'm running a summer program. And there's no measure of compensation for any of those things that I'm doing because I'm essentially coaching a sport year round. So there's a lot of different ways a school could look at that. And I've been a lot of part of a lot of different models. I mean, I was when I came here, I was a 12 month employee. I don't know if my salary was maybe reflective of a 12 month employee at that time, but that's what they had available. And it was enough for us to make the move. And I was passionate about being here. Right. Um, I would say I would rather live in a world with a coach that, hey, here's here's what we pay you for teaching, teaching the classes during the day. Here's the stipend that we're going to pay you for the fall. Here's the stipend we're going to pay you for the winter. Here's the stipend we're going to pay you for the spring. Here's the stipend we're going to pay you for the summer. And, and that, to me, feels like a very fair and equitable situation for someone that is putting a year-round effort into what's going on at a school. Um, even at a minimum, I think a minimum level of that is paying an assistant coach stipend uh, in, in each of those seasons to make sure that that person – that's generally – you know, we private school contracts can be convoluted depending upon school life and all these different pieces, a little different model. Um, but th- that's an easy way, I think, to, to figure out, hey, how do I compensate, right? And listen, there are some people that are making six figures at the schools that they're in. It's, it's hey, I get a head coach stipend every season. Hey, if your district can afford to do that, fantastic. That's great. Um, I, I would argue, I would argue the other side, it is not the same as being a head coach. 
It, you're not communicating with parents to the level that a head coach is communicating with parents. You're not managing, for the most part, you're not managing the staff with that person. You're not managing travel. You're not managing all the, the food, all the different things that a head coach may be managing. So I would push back as an athletic director on, hey, is that it's a mid-level for me. It wouldn't be your lowest paid assistant. It wouldn't be your head coach top, and it would be somewhere in the middle, um, depending upon the nature of the school and the role. So that that's kind of the base of where I would start with that. Hey, if you're starting from scratch, that's a lot harder piece. And that may be a, hey, how do I put together? What's a, you know, I hear the term all the time about livable wage, and that's all relative to where you live, right? I live somewhere where you can't buy a house for less than seven or 800000 if you want to live in a halfway decent house at this point in time. Um, so a livable wage here can be very difficult at times. And I've, I've seen that resonate in hiring of, hey, if you're moving someone from out of town, that can be a real barrier to them coming here when they start looking at what do housing prices cost here or where am I going to have to live 45 minutes to an hour from work every day? No one really wants to do that, especially if you're a strength conditioning coach that's spending an inordinate amount of time on, on the campus each year. So, um, you know, I do I do agree with you. I think the base level, hey, where the teacher start levels of experience, degree levels, a piece of it. Um, I like other metrics in that, too. I'm very much a performance based person. We live in a world where it may be this percentage to this percentage, depending upon what your performance looks like um, and, and where you do. We we essentially honor taking on more responsibility and performance are the two things that people get compensated more for in our structure. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of that uh, within the overall budget of how the school operates. So I think that's a place to start. I do think when you're a small school and, hey, I'm just adding this position. I mean, we've paid people part-time salaries to do part-time work. And that's where I just try to make it. I wouldn't want someone working here full-time for part-time money. If I'm going to pay you part-time money, then I'm going to expect part-time part-time work from you. And we had a person that's a head strength coach at another private school in town that for his first two years here, he came in at one o'clock and did the afternoon classes and some afternoon groups because we were paying him a part-time salary with benefits. And um, so, yeah, we try, I just, I'm a big, what's, what's equitable and how do I do that in a term of like how much time is someone putting in and what's the quality of that work and the time that they're doing in. And that's how I try to evaluate that structure with some guardrails and parameters of, Hey, here's what we pay assistant coaches. Here's what we pay head coaches, X, Y, and Z. Is that helpful JM on that end? Yeah, absolutely. And my thing here. And I hear you talk about this with the stipends from off-season, in-season. Um, I don't know if you have like a preseason stipend as well, but um, I always thought about it like you're an assistant coach for these specific sports, right? If you're working with, let's say, football, basketball, baseball, I've, I kind of view that as like a you're an assistant coach for basketball, baseball, and football and having that assistant um, coach stipend along with, you know, because you are evaluating your programming, you are coaching the kids that the head coach and the other position coaches for those each of those sports are dealing with every single day. And you're with them probably, if not more, than most of the coaches are. You're, you're dealing with a lot of the athletes, um, you know, a majority of the time. You're spending a lot of time with them. So, I you know, I kind of view that as, like, you're an assistant coach, along with those other coaches, you know, for each of those sports. Okay. So I'm going to push back against that. I'm going to, this is going to be unpopular. If you're training someone in season, how many times a week are you training them? Probably two, three max. Okay. How, how long? 45 minutes to an hour. 
okay, are you going to practice in games five days a week? And are you at practice for two, two and a half hours? And are you at the game that doesn't end until nine o'clock at night that week? If you're in baseball season, you've got, hey, I've got four games that week and none of those ended before nine o'clock. That's a different schedule for an assistant coach than what the street coach is doing. And that's the reality of that. That's because I used to think that way when I was just a street coach. But when I see it from, once again, what's the amount of time that's being put into that? That's a different schedule. I'm looking at maybe three hours a week of I'm putting in with that sport as an assistant coach and I can live in that world. But I would scale that salary based on if I paid it that way to, hey, I'm going to pay you as an assistant for every every sport that you work with. I would also scale it to how much time do you put in with that sport in the end season versus how much time that assistant coach puts in in the end in the end season with them, which is going to be drastically different. Um, So it's a different like I said, it goes back to that principle based of, okay, if I'm looking at it that way, what's the time for time we'll look there? What does that look like? Doesn't mean it's less important, but if that's the approach I'm taking to it, that's the approach I would have to look at it from because I can't pay you what I'm paying the person that's traveling with them and is there till 930 at night raking the baseball field when you maybe went home at 430 that day after you trained your last group. So that's, that's not an equitable world for those people either. Right. And that totally makes sense because like, you know, in the public school system, a head coach probably gets, what, 10, 15, maybe sometimes 20% of a stipend, depending on, um, you know, your school district and how they scale that out. Assistants make about, you know, 5 to 10. You know, would that be a conversation of, like, maybe a strength coach? We view him as the, you know, assistant to some of these sports and yeah. scale down that, you know, let's say that five, 10 percent to, you know, maybe two or three. Yeah. My preference would be I would tell you the way I would I don't deal in percentages. But, yeah, if I'm in the public school world, then I think you've got to live in the percentage. It, it's all like what's your structure. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that's a conversation to have. If you're telling me, hey, how would you do this where you are? If I've got a person that is working with every sport and they're coordinating every sport, I would have a stipend for that. That itself would be a stipend. I would also have a stipend for each season and not just like season in the sense of, oh, do I have a preseason? You have a fall season. You're going to be training some in-season kids, some off-season kids, some preseason kids. You have a fall season. You have a winter season. You have a spring season. You have a summer. So I'd be looking at a total of five stipends if I were building it off of a stipend structure based off of a teaching structure. Does that make sense? That is not how our contracts work here. This is if I'm king and I do it the way I want to. Does that make sense? So we try to build that into the salary in terms of what we're looking at because we're we're big and trying to work toward fair compensation. And and I think philosophically that's how we operate, but it's not broken down like that. I will tell you that the more and more I work with, and this is something I actually appreciate about Gen Z or millennials or whatever we how are we going to blend those two that we all like to complain about, all those older people. Uh one thing that I think they're really good at is they're really good at. They're wanted, they want to quantify what's going on with their time. Okay, well, if I'm putting X amount of time in, how does that comp, how am I being compensated for that? And what does that look like? And then the other thing I think they do really well is they value their personal time outside of here at a high level and do a better job of setting up some barriers to make sure that they have a little more balance in their lives. And I'm not good at that. It's why I've been successful in my career because I'm not good at that. But at times that can be a that can be a pinch point at home. Um, so those are two things that I really appreciate. 
So I, I go back to that. That's how I would do it in my perfect world uh, of how do I think that actually rolls and what does that look like? Because you're being compensated for coordinating everything. Then you're actually being compensated for the work that you're doing with those kids in those seasons beyond the classes. That's how I build it. If I said, hey, what's in your mind, what's the perfect structure? Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. And, you know, it's good to have some of these conversations like this, like, well, what about this? What about that? You know, there's some things even what, before I even walked in here, it's like, well, in my mind, this is how it works. It's like, well, in reality, this is kind of what it is, you know, and, you know, have the conversations like that is what, you know, kind of pushes that narrative forward of, well, I didn't think about that. Well, let's try to do this at our school. And maybe someone's listening to this, they're thinking we're going to use that. And, you know, that, that plants a seed. I think to your point, like if you're looking at, hey, what am I paying a head coach percentage wise? I think I think it's very reasonable to play with percentages to get that number to where you need that to be, to where that feels good for everyone. And I'm being appropriately compensated for the time that I'm putting in and the, and the value that I bring to the department. So and that's a little bit of like where that stopping in my head comes from, from, hey, you're the person coordinating that a person needs to see that value. Because if they don't, they're just like, well, what about when I'm at, yeah, I'm, I know you do this because I've, I, I know you're, you're, I can see your, your social media when you're out asking questions, when you're programming at night, that makes a person feel better about some of those things. Hey, maybe you do choose to do that. Maybe you choose to do those things. I'm, I'm a, I'm an efficiency person and I've gotten to a place where I try to do everything that I can do during the day. I don't have a lot of dead spot in my day. Um, where I think a lot of people have dead spot in their day. Like I'm going to knock down whatever's next. I think a lot of people don't use their planning periods and and decide to do that at home as opposed to during the day because, oh, I need a break or I've got to run to the store and grab X, Y, and Z. So I don't do a lot of that. <laughs> I do a lot of, hey, I want this. Over the last three years, I've tried to leave my computer at home. And if an emergency comes up, I work on my home computer if, if something pops up but just to be a better husband and to be more present in what's going on at home. And I, I, my wife would probably tell you that I'm not very good at that, but I promise on my end, I've tried to make a conscious effort. So I, I think all those things are on the table of how do you make that equitable? But I do think for, for people that are hiring the next generation, they're going to want to know how am I being compensated for the amount of time that I'm putting in and Hey, I'm going to put up some barriers of don't call me at eight 30 at night about X, Y, and Z. And, and uh, I wasn't like that. And I don't begrudge anyone for that because as you get older and the longer you do this, there are things that you don't get back and the, the family piece and, and, and your faith piece and the pieces that are, that are really huge that make you the biggest piece of who you really are outside of this uh, need to be need to be cultivated need to be need to be uh, need to be taken care of and they need to be stewarded well and uh, I was not good at that for a long time and I'm still growing in that um, on a, working hard to grow grow more and more at that so my advice to the to the young kids out there keep fighting for some of the stuff you're fighting for it's good stuff I wish I had some of that in me it's just not how I'm wired up so I'm, I'm appreciative of it though yeah and my first year teaching um kind of ran into that you know I, I was like i'm gonna do everything i can for these kids and everything like that and you know i would get conversations and phone calls and text messages and emails at like 9 10 11 o'clock at night and i'm just it's like man I, I i can't live like this you know that's it's just a constant of feedback what about this what about that and uh done the thing that you're talking about i leave my laptop at school and you know, works at work and not, I, you know, I guess it's just trying to find that work-life balance. And I don't know if it's the generation. I don't know if it's just the culture that we're in right now, but that's kind of 
like that mentality of, well, I'm just, I'm trying to keep work at work and I'm going to keep my life, you know, my home life at home. And yeah. Yeah. I, I talk to my wife a lot about rhythms and I, I've heard this somewhere else. I did not, I, there's no, I don't think there's anything I've ever done that I've invented myself. So I, I'd, I'd love to give credit to whatever book I read uh, that talked about rhythms, but uh, we, I talked, I talked to my wife a lot about, we work in rhythms. Like I'm about to go into the summer. That is a completely different pace for me, although I'm working and I'm busy it is not the pace of the school year. It is not that. And I'm going to be home in the afternoons, which I'm normally not. So I'll grill more and do some different things. But we try to really talk about in our relationship, these rhythms that you go through, because I don't know that there is a true balance anymore, the way society is wired up. But man, when you get that chance to walk away for a little bit, you got to take it and you've got to unplug. And I'm, I'm coaching. One of the things I'll be coaching our community on is, I would say that Saturday, if I looked at like, hey, when I get my negative traffic from a parent, it's going to be on a Saturday because they've had time to sit down and type it out and boom, I send it. And now I feel better. Well, I was going to see a couple of weeks ago, I got something really negative from a parent. It actually wasn't toward me. It was toward one of our coaches. Um, the coach is fantastic. It, and this ended up resolving itself within 15 minutes because our coach is so good. He picks up the phone and calls the person and says, hey, let's let's work through this. And then I get another text. Oh, it's all it's all great. But at the moment that I got that really difficult message to one of our coaches that obviously I'm going to have to interact in at some point, I was walking in to see my defensive coordinator from high school who just had a liver transplant. So I've got that on my mind is I'm supposed to be doing something that's in my personal life and that's really important to me. And that's what I'm thinking about as I walk into the door. So I'm using that example to help our parents realize that like, hey, if you don't have to call 911 on Saturday, for this issue, you can write that email if you want. Schedule it to send Monday morning in working hours. Don't send that email at 930 at night if it doesn't have to happen at 930 at night that you don't need an immediate response in that moment. And that's something we're going to build a partnership and we're going to work together. And, and I'm doing the same things. I'm not sending an email to a parent or to a coach during hours that are outside of our working hours now. I'll schedule it. I may write it. I'm a big email scheduler. I schedule things for 48 hours in advance sometimes until I may, I may do that on Saturday morning, but it's not going to that person until Monday. And so we're going to work to coach our community and build a partnership with our community and our parents. Cause when you actually talk to someone about that, I've talked to the parent the next Monday at, at a game and walk him through that. He's like, man, that's really an excellent point. And he's a coach too. And he got it. He's like, yeah, I don't like getting those emails on a Saturday. It kind of run me be at the park with my kid and, now, all of a sudden, I've gotten this email. That's what my mind goes to, because the reality is we do not live in a world where this whole, oh, don't check your email. It's not real. And you can't leave your phone because of the way our society's connected now. So our phones are going to be there. Our emails are going to be there. We've got to coach ourselves up on how do we interact and what hours do we do that in to have those rhythms and to have some sort of like, hey, I, I, I had a hard time taking my coach hat off, like my identity you know, my identity is in Christ. That's where my identity is. Uh, but the reality is for a long time, I felt like my identity was more as Coach Eves. And that's not a good place to be. And it's not a good place to live. And it's not, and it will it will hurt you long-term in terms of how you feel about your work and how you feel about what you're doing. And, and listen, teaching is the profession that makes all other professions possible. As my good friend, Dr. John Eckert says at Baylor University, it's one of the most profound things I've ever heard. Never thought about it like that until he said it, but it's just the truth. Like you can't have anything without education. 
there's no profession other than that. So this is a really important profession that we've got to keep people in and we've got to attract good people to be in. And some of that's going to be setting some parameters because things are more polarized than they've ever been with families, with parents, with everyone else. And like, how do we, how do we look each other in the eye, have difficult conversations, but work to be on the same page and really actually partner together. And I think that's going to be a challenge, but it's, you know, it's going to be a fun challenge. I, I, we've made some good headway and I find most people still to be really reasonable when you, when you talk to them on that level about that. So it's my take on balance, rhythm, whatever you want to call it. That's, that's good stuff, man. That That's really awesome. Um, Continuing on on this talk, um, you know, we talked a little bit about that private public school life. What about that external factor and bringing someone else in from a private facility? How do you even go around that? You know, as a administrator, um, you know, how do you even pay them? You know, do you pay them for part time work? Do you pay them for full time? You know, do they have to have a contract in three years? You know, you're going to be paid this much and then we'll take a look at results and you know, do another contract three years, you know, how, how does that even work? We have never, we have not done that here. That's not been our model. I've seen it. Um, and I've seen some people who've had success with it. I've never seen anybody do it long, long term, but I've seen people have good five-year stints with it of like, Hey, this was really good for us at where we were while we were trying to build capacity and while we were trying to build our, you know, build, build financially to a place where we could hire someone full time. So I think the first, first place you got to do is look at it. Like most of your athletic trainer partnerships are with an outside entity, right? So look at it in a similar vein as that, like we have a partnership with a, with a company in town, we essentially pay a percentage. We have two trainers and we pay a percentage of those people's salaries. And in that, that company assumes all liability they assume, you know, all the training, they assume everything on their end. Um, so it actually works out pretty well. We don't pay benefits for them. So that company is paying for benefits for them. So that's a financial win for us. Of, that would cost us double what it's costing us right now. We've got two athletic trainers on campus because we've got a partnership with this outside entity. So I think that's the vein that I would view that in if that's what I were exploring that in of, hey, what does that cost? How many people do I get? What is how much coverage do I get? What does that look like? Um, but yeah, and then in terms of contract, man, I've seen people do everything from one year to, you know, generally people aren't going to do, we do generally a three year with our, uh, our with our athletic training group. Um, we're expanding that to some PT work uh, soon, which is going to be really exciting. The same company has a, has a physical therapist that's going to be on site a couple times a week. And that's going to be a huge benefit for our families and kids and, once again, we don't have to touch any of that. That's going to roll just like they're essentially running satellite clinics here. Um, so there's creative ways to do that. And and I think it, one is, hey, is that an option in your town? Do you have one of those big box entities that does that? We I've always had good relationships. I lived in the world before it was popular of, hey, you need to figure out how to work with outside entities because I've worked with a group of parents that have means to do whatever they want. And if you think they're not going to train with someone else to try to get more, you're just lying to yourself. The best thing you can do is get everyone on the same page and everyone be towing in the same direction for the best interest of the kid and throw your egos out the door with it. And, and I will say, you know, I think the people that I've worked with in the private sector have been really good about understanding of, hey, I actually have them for more time than you do. I have better access than you do because they're in my class four times a week or whatever that may be. And they generally were, hey, here's what we're doing. And they filled in those gaps for me. 
if the situation were reversed and they had them more than me, then I'd be having that conversation of how am I filling in gaps for the training that's going on there. But essentially working together, how do you how do you build a robust program where everyone's we all say we have the same goal for the kid, right? We all want the kid to be successful, but do we really have the same goal? It, it will that will match up in your actions. So I think that partnership piece is huge. You've got to have someone that you can trust. You've got to have a you got to have a business entity you can trust. You got to be able to trust the people that you're bringing on your campus. You got to make sure that they're from a, you know, from a liability standpoint, their background check, they've been screened, that that company's done all those things when you're dealing with an outside entity. And then you got to build a contract and financial structure that works for you and works for your skill set or works for your school structure. And I've seen a lot of schools that aren't quite ready to hire because the cost of benefits is what people don't realize costs so much more. You're not just making that 50,000 or whatever it is a year that you're making. There's another 15 to 20 in terms of what your benefits and what we're paying for insurance and, you know, disability and all those different pieces that come along with that, um, you know, retirement. So that's a way to manage that until you get to a place that you do that. But, you know, I think it's an option for people. And I think it's, you know, I think there's some, we've got some people in Nashville area that have done that. I think that's an area that's grown here. I know Knoxville's got some places and I'm speaking, you know, Atlanta obviously has a, has a ton of those. And uh, it's an option for, for people. It's, it's a, I, I don't mean this in a trite way. It's way better than doing nothing. Right. I mean, <laughs> I don't mean, work with a partnership, most of the time they're going to have some knowledgeable people and then they're going to have some good young people who are, who are learning how to train and learning how to coach. And that can be a benefit to your kids in your school if that's the route you need to go. Yeah, absolutely. And this question popped up in my mind and it's been one that's kind of bust around. Do you think strength coaches are going to get to a point like athletic trainers are hired where you have to go through things like a CSCS and have a educational background and, you know, being able to, you know, have these preset qualifications that you have to meet. Do you think that strength coaches are going to get to a point to where they're like ATs? I would hope so. I, I would hope that's good. It's good for the profession. Now, what I wouldn't want to see is where some, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way of where, hey, I'm required to have a master's degree, but yeah, my starting salary is $40,000 a year for me to get certified as an athletic trainer. That's what I bought. Once again, I'm a big fan of compensating appropriately relative to the structure, but that would be my worry for, hey, what are we, what are we actually requiring of that? What does that cost educationally? And how do we, you know, are we, are we making that unattainable? Because people will choose not to go into athletic training because they look and go, well, dang, I can't get a job and get certified in this until I get my master's. And yet I'm going to start out at $43,000 a year. Well, I mean, no offense. There are a lot of places you can go make $43,000 a year now and, and not have any education whatsoever. And so I think that's a piece that they got to be careful, but you, you do want to see it be regulated in the sense of you do want qualified people. You don't do want people that know what they're doing and they are knowledgeable. And I think people are working really hard in hiring to do that, but it's not regulated at this point. So I wouldn't be shocked. I, I've seen those, uh, the, the athletic trainer and the strength conditioning that that's felt it's, it's parallel in the sense of we're lagging behind in terms of where they were and how they organized. Um, I feel like that there, there are a lot of parallels though, in between of where they are. We're just at a, we're at an earlier piece of the life cycle than where they are. They've been going at this long and there are still places that don't have an athletic trainer. You know, they're still out there. 
And uh, so it's a battle you keep fighting and it's a really important piece just as, and our athletic trainer will tell you the strength conditioning piece is a really important piece for him. And, and, and so would, so would our, our female athletic trainer, she'd say the same thing. It's huge for them. It's very, very important. So yeah, no, it's a good, good observation. I do think it could get there. And I do think some regulation is needed, but what does that look like? I think you got to be really thoughtful. I think we go as, as a society, we go to very, very draconian black and white things pretty quickly got to be really thoughtful about what that looks like and how you get there and how that makes sense. So you don't get to a place where I think where athletic training is struggling of people are deciding not to do that because of the barriers. People decide not to get an education at times because of the licensure barriers. So it's how do you make that more accessible? Right. And I think some of those things will happen as time goes on because it's going to have to, because if you read every research study that's been coming out for the last 20, I've known for 20 years when I got into education that when I was at this stage, it was going to be really hard to find people. And it was really going to be really hard to find good leadership because they've been telling us for 20 years, this is going to happen. This is where it is. people are not getting into that. And if you look at, I think it's like, uh, oh, where are the stats from like 2000? I think it's down like 30, 40% in terms of people graduating from an education program since year 2003 something along those lines on that end. So, so we got to look at like how accessible is this? I think you're getting a lot more career switchers and how do you make that more attainable? And, and so there's all those different pieces of how does that all work that I don't have all the answers to, but I'm good at presenting problems and, and I'm good at at least trying to be thoughtful about how do you get there? And, and so, yeah, that's a long winded, I think there needs to be some sort of regulation. I don't have the answer on all that, what that looks like yet, but I do think there are a lot of parallels between the ATCs and, just cautionary of not making it to a point where you you discourage people from getting into this. And then, listen, I see it. I friends on social media that were strength coaches forever, and now they're realtors, and now they're, you know, it just wasn't paying them enough money to do the work, and and so and the amount of time that they were putting in. So it's a it's a real challenge, and I think it will be moving forward. Yeah, and you know that piece with the AT, like we coexist with the AT. You know, it's all part of this whole long-term process. You know, education athletes, and then if they, you know, God forbid, get hurt or get injured, whatever, you know, we should be able to assist with our sports medicine program. And then that sports medicine program is supposed to assist us in sport performance as well. So it all just kind of coexists inside of there as well. And that, I think that's the goal, JM, is like, how do you build that cohesive unit of student well-being? And I'll be honest with you, the next part of that's going to be the mental health piece. That That's that's where we are. We're, we're looking at that piece in terms of I've got a, got a longer term plan on how we're going to, you know, we've got a lot of good things going on on the school side. But I'd love to see us be able to do some more on the athletic side to, to, to coexist with what we're doing on the school side for mental health. But it's going to be a holistic, hey, how do we. Kids, I can't imagine being a kid today, not to get on my soapbox. I, I just can't imagine like what you're subjected to. I mean, turning on the news and seeing what they see, that's not what I saw when I was 15 years old, the polarization that the country's going through, dealing with the social media pressures and the pressures to be X, Y, and Z and what, what society's telling you should look like, what you should think, who you, that having access to things on their phone that children should never have access to that if you wanted to find some of that in the 80s or 90s, you really had to work really, really hard to do that. So it's a good good deterrent. 
they live in a world that I don't completely understand. And if we say that we understand it and we haven't walked in it as natives that they have, we're lying to ourselves. So they're going through the most challenging time. And that's why anxiety levels are so high. And that's why these kids are struggling from a mental health standpoint. And by the way, oh, on top of that, our expectations for kids are higher than they've ever been whether it be academically, athletically, socially, whatever that may be, we're not helping them any because we're losing our minds as parents in terms of, oh, well, they've got to be X, Y, and Z. And I tell every kid this, and it's unpopular. I remind them when I do signing day, I set the group down. We do three different signing days a year. I'll set the group down and I'll say, hey, the reality is, is that you guys are super excited about where you're going today. You feel like you've made the best decision based off the best information that you could possibly have. Your families are excited. It's a really important day. There's a high percentage that about 50% of this room won't be at the same school a year from now after you go through that first year. And I'm here to tell you that that's okay. You've made the best decision that you can make based off the information that you have. Sometimes you get somewhere and it's not the appropriate fit for you and you'll figure it out because somewhere along the line, we've told you guys, you have to have your whole life figured out at 18 years old and we're wrong. What we need to do is give you a skill set to navigate the volatility, unpredictability of the world that we're dealing with right now. And as long as you have that skill set, you're going to navigate these challenges because, hey, when I went to Maryville College, I thought I was going to spend four years playing football. Well, a month and a half into that, I couldn't play football anymore. And I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. I still have lifelong friends from there. I still care about school it helped form me into who I am today. Each one of our experiences helps us get to where we ultimately need to be. And it's okay to have to have to shift. And so I think preparing children just in terms of what, what skill set is it that we're giving them, because it's just going to get, it's not getting easier. So how do we, how do we support them appropriately? I think that's going to be the next level of challenge for, and I think it all ties into strength conditioning, physical, mental, emotional, well-being. That's going to be the direction that this all ends up going in the end, because we're going to be looking now and going 15 years from now. I can't believe you don't have a mental health professional on site. You don't have someone to work with the kids on this. What does that look like? We have counselors per se. Right. But what's the volume for that counselor? I had a friend that was a counselor in the Midwest. And it's like when she told me the volume of kids that she's responsible for. I don't even know if she could see if she saw each kid one one day, one time a year, she couldn't get the whole group. It's not realistic. It's not realistic to service your community. So that's going to be a, the next challenge, I think, down the road. And the, I think that's just going to be another investment in education, another investment in, you know, not just, I guess, the performance side of things, you know, the athletic side of things, but also the academic side of things as well. And, man, and I mean, that's going to be, that's going to be, uh, and I, I hate to use the word crazy, but it's going to be pretty uh, eye opening, you know, to have more support in that realm you know the psyche of our athletes the psyche of our students you know and you know we do it to a certain degree as well you know um this past you know uh year where i was at when finals or midterms came along you know i i have enough you know mental health knowledge to say okay let's pull back a little bit because we don't need you know to go on max outs and load them up on you know you know, on, um, you know, a midterm or a big test day, ACT, whatever, because, you know, they're mentally not checked in, they're worn out. And, you know, that's, you know, if we go on with, you know, let's just say we've maxed out, you know, on 
ACT day, right? They're they're already fried, and you know we're not going to get the num- we're not going to get the results from them that we are wanting on our end. So yeah, it, that's going to be a really cool piece to see in the future. Um, yeah, we've dabbled. We have a we have an alum who's a um, sports psychologist at the professional level, and when he's in the off season here, he does a lot of work with our kids, and it's been I mean it has been fantastic, and, and parents and kids have been really excited about it, and it's been really fruitful. So uh, I'd love to see that become more of a full time thing for us as time goes on. But it's a it's a neat it's a neat thing to kind of dip your toe into, see how you can benefit the kids a bit more on the other side of things. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to go ahead and go into the last segment, and then we'll kind of wrap things up here. So this is Code Coach Spotlight. So do you have anyone out there that you want to highlight in the industry of strength and conditioning, someone that's made an impact? Yeah, I'm going to use um, Isaiah Newson at uh, Donaldson Christian Academy. Uh, he's a former assistant of mine. He's a really good young coach. I think he spoke at our NatCon last year. Um just a man, he is a really, really super knowledgeable, super hardworking, high character, loves kids, kids love him. Um, you know, just just fantastic young coach. And if you don't know him, he's a guy you need to get to know. And he's not a me person. He's not gonna he's not gonna throw his stuff out everywhere and, and uh you you wouldn't, you know, he's he's very, very, uh very modest and and humble in his approach to the way he operates, but he is a fantastic coach and he does it the right way. So I would I would tell anyone, you know, and super, super if you need nutritional help, he's got a great nutrition background. Um, but he is super, super solid as a coach and as a person. I, I think the world of him. He's a good one. Awesome, Fred. Well, I wanna thank you for being on the conjugate chats and taking the time to really dive deep about how we can implement, you know, a strength and conditioning coach into public schools and private schools. And maybe we do need an external um, person to come in and, you know, maybe lay down the groundwork for, you know, our programs and stuff like that, man. And I, I know that's going to be an uphill battle. It's already a h- uphill battle, but, you know, to at least have that knowledge and that, I guess, expertise to be, thrown out into the crowd saying this is what we could you know this could happen you know that that's really awesome to dive deep into yeah well no thank you for the time i appreciate it hopefully there's some some value out there somewhere uh for for coaches that are listening and administrators and and uh you keep doing the good work that you're doing it's it's fruitful and uh people are appreciative of it and and uh, if i can be a help along the way please let me know absolutely and that's another episode of the conjugate chats please follow our, our social media platforms at conjugate chat podcast on twitter and tiktok also follow fred on his social medias as well in the name of strength stay strong and have a day today